0: Hillary Clinton tries to lead the resistance, Kanye goes to the White House, and we tell the tale of James, a student at the University of California, Davis, with a wild, wild tale. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Well, howdy-doody. We have lots of news to get to today. First, a couple announcements. First, join me tonight at my next YAF speech, YAF speech in Memphis, Tennessee, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern. I will be dismantling the left's arguments one by one as per my usual arrangement. The event is not live streamed, so you're actually gonna have to show up in person. Don't miss your chance to come and watch it in person. It should be a blast. Also, if you're watching all of the news about the midterm elections, you know that great uncertainty is attached to elections. And how those elections go may mean something for your financial future. Well, if you are concerned, one way to mitigate downside risk is ensuring that you are diversified financially. And that means having at least a little bit of your money in precious metals. That's why I talk to the folks over at Birch Gold. Birch Gold provides you a hedge against inflation, a hedge against uncertainty, and not only that, they're really good at what they do. Right now, thanks to a little-known IRS tax law, you can even move your ira or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver, which is perfect for folks who want to protect their hard-earned retirement savings from future uncertainty like the uncertainty of the midterms. Look back historically when the bottom falls out. Gold is a good place to have some of your money. Birch Gold Group has thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Right now, contact Birch Gold to request a free information kit on physical precious metals. Ask all your questions, and then once you have your answers, then talk to my friends at Birch Gold about investing. Again, they'll give you that free comprehensive 16-page kit showing how gold and silver can protect your savings. Go check them out at birchgold.com slash ben, birchgold.com. Well, it is important to note that in the aftermath of the Brett Kavanaugh saga, Republicans have been gaining ground across the board in the Senate. In the House, things still are are way too close to call. It is not clear at this point that Republicans lose the House, although the smart money suggests that they probably will. With that said, all the Senate polls that have come out since the Brett Kavanaugh saga have been terrible for Democrats. I'm talking about Martha McSally in Arizona, who was down five to seven points in that race, suddenly is up six points according to a new poll, which is wonderful, because Martha McSally will be quite a good senator from the state of Arizona. In Tennessee, the state in which I currently sit, that state has now turned strongly toward Marsha Blackburn. Phil Bredesen, on the heels of a Taylor Swift endorsement, has fallen, plummeted. In the polls, he's now down to the 30s, according to some polls. And Marsha Blackburn has pulled convincingly into the league. Claire McCaskill remains extraordinarily vulnerable in Missouri. So it looks like Republicans could, in fact, in this election, lose seats in the House and pick up some significant seats in the Senate, which makes a big difference. Because it means that if you have a four or five vote majority in the Senate, next time Republicans have a judicial pick, if Ruth Bader Ginsburg retires for some reason, or if, God forbid, something happens to her health-wise, well, then Republicans will have the opportunity to replace her with a strong conservative, a strong textualist, most importantly, like Amy Coney Barrett, which would be just unreal. Right, And that's a significant possibility if the elections go the way they seem to be going right now. Now, the reason that this shift has happened is not because of President Trump. It's not because of the Republicans. It is simply because the Democrats have bared their fangs. The Democrats have decided that they are going to look as ugly and terrible as humanly possible in public as often as possible. It's so funny because... The Democrats, after after losing to President Trump, decided that what they really needed to do was be more off-putting. They look at President Trump and they see that his popularity ratings are in the low 40s, and they thought, well, you know what? If we could imitate that but do it worse, right? So we won't have the the kind of blue-collar appeal of President Trump. We won't have the sort of personal charisma of President Trump. We'll just be insanely off-putting and terrible all the time. Maybe that will win us power again. And it doesn't seem like it is working. The media are doing their best to try and cover for this. So you have this conflict that is now happening, this gaslighting that is happening, where Democrats are openly stating, openly, that they are in favor of mob politics, that they are fine with mob politics. They are fine with people showing up at restaurants and yelling at people. They are fine with people trying to beat down the 13-ton bronze doors at the Supreme Court. They are fine with folks screaming at senators in elevators. They are fine with all of these things. All these things are just dandy. And then you have folks in the media saying, no, 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 Democrats aren't saying that. There are no mobs. That's not, that's not real. Why would you think that the mob stuff is real? And those of us with a brain are going, well, because Democrats said so out loud repeatedly. And then the folks in the media say, no, 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 You're not allowed to listen to what Democrats say. The only mobs that exist are Republican mobs. And we say, well, name them. And they say, well, Charlottesville. Well, no, that's not a Republican mob. (laughs) What are you even talking about? In any case, let's begin today with Hillary Rodham Clinton will not go away. She is like just a bad case of genital herpes. She just will not leave. And she remains on the political scene, really torturing everyone, Democrat and Republican. I'm not sure there are that many Democrats who are extraordinarily excited about Hillary Clinton still being around. Again, there, there's a, a basic principle in American politics, which is that after you lose a presidential election, we really don't want to hear from you pretty much ever again. Hillary Clinton, however, does not know this rule. So she continues to appear in the media and say silly things. What you have to love about Hillary Clinton, I really mean this. What you have to love about her is that she is utterly transparently mechanical. It's like removing the face of a clock. You can see all the gears working in real time. So, for example, yesterday she was on CNN and she was asked specifically about civility. Now, we all know that Hillary is not the nicest human being. And that's that's not a great shock. But Hillary was also the person who kept saying during the 2016 election, every time they go low, we go high. When they go low, we go high. That that was her routine during the 2016 election. Well, now she's changed her tune. Why has she changed her tune? Because she realizes that the passion of the base is not with civility. The passion of the base is not with decency. The passion of the base is with yelling and screaming and kicking on the floor like my two and a half year old son when I tell him he's not allowed to push Emily at school. that's, That's how the Democratic base is responding to the latest round of politics. She knows that. And so Hillary being transparently manipulative and political has started to try to personality mirror now. There's certain people in our office, I won't name names like Michael Knowles, who are excellent at personality mirroring. This is just something that they do. It's like a natural quality. If you talk to Michael Knowles and you are jovial, he will be jovial. If you talk to Michael Knowles and you're in a bad mood, he will be in a bad mood. Like Michael Knowles has a unique capacity to mirror human personality. It's one of the things that makes him roguishly likable is that he, he mirrors personality quite well. Well, Hillary Clinton is really bad at it. Hillary Clinton tries to do it, but fails. So she's supposed to be trying to sort of encompass the rage of her own base here. But it's so mechanical that you can see all the gears moving. And it's sort of delightful to see all the gears moving because you can see, once again, why she lost. Here's Hillary Clinton explaining that Democrats should not be civil with Republicans. The time for civility is over, which makes you wonder, when was the time for civility not over? And I was here for the Obama administration when the IRS was militarized against conservative 501c3 groups. I was here for the Obama administration when they were cramming down a horrific Iran deal that put our allies in danger and then lying to the American public about it and then chortling over lying. I was here for the Obama years when Barack Obama went out in public and made excuses for rioting in Ferguson and Baltimore. So I'm not sure what Hillary Clinton is talking about when she says the era of civility is over. But here is Hillary Clinton saying we don't need to be civil anymore because we disagree with Republicans. And why would you be civil with people with whom you disagree? You cannot be
1: civil with a political party that wants to destroy What you stand for, what you care about. That's why I believe if we are fortunate enough to win back the House and or the Senate, that's when civility can start again.
0: (laughs) So in victory, civility. So civility can start again when we dominate you and put our boot on your throat. That's when civility makes a comeback. Now, what's funny about this is that her premise, that you can't be civil to a party that wants to destroy all the things that you stand for, that's the premise of party politics in the United States. There's not a lot unifying the Democratic and Republican parties right now. They both want to destroy what the other party stands for. That does not remove the requirement to be civil. Now, I think Republicans understand this much better than Democrats do, or at least did until 2016. The, the great untold story of the last 25 years is that Democrats categorized every Republican as evil and nasty and bigoted and homophobic and racist and all of these terrible things. And finally, Republicans responded in 2016 by saying, you know what, screw you two, we're done. And I have a chart to prove it. So here's a chart from Jonathan Haidt's new book about polarization in American politics. And here's what it shows. It's partisan hatred for the other party. And you will see that the lighter line, if you're watching this, you can see the lighter line shows that that folks who hate the Democratic party, Republicans who hate the Democratic party. And the darker line shows Democrats who hate the Republican party. What you will see is that until 2016, Democratic hate for the Republican Party was higher or equal to hate from Republicans for Democrats every year since 1980, right? That's the actual trend line here. What you see in this trend line is that since 1980, when Ronald Reagan won election, Democratic hatred for the Republican Party skyrocketed and was significantly higher than Republican hatred for the Democrats all the way up until 1995 or so. Then they sort of drew even and they basically are right on top of each other. And then after George W. Bush was elected, Then Democratic hatred for the Republican Party skyrocketed again and remained higher. This is the part that's amazing. It remained higher than hatred for the Democratic Party by Republicans all the way until 2016, which means even after Barack Obama was elected, Democrats still hated Republicans more than Republicans hated Democrats, which shows you that Republicans in the end really believe, I think they they believe and have believed this for, for decades, that Democrats are wrong but not evil. And Democrats believe that Republicans are both wrong and evil. And in 2016, Republicans finally said, listen, you guys think that we're evil? Well, that makes you evil. We're done with this, right? You're going to say that you hate us just for partisan reasons. Well, we hate you right back. You can go shove it. We are not interested in playing this game with you anymore. That's what's happened. So the media only noticed this around 2016 because the media are partisan Democrats. The folks in the media only noticed that Republican hatred for Democrats had skyrocketed in 2016 because for the first time, it was evident that that was the case. Because until then, Democratic hatred for Republicans always had exceeded Republican hatred for Democrats. And the media were part of that problem. The media were forwarding that hatred. The media were cheering it on. It was the media declaring that George W. Bush was a war criminal. It was the media declaring that the Tea Party were a bunch of terrorists. It was the media declaring that the, that the Tea Party were a bunch of mob thugocracy fans. Right? This, was the, this was their claim. And then in 2016, Republicans won. Partially by saying, okay, fine, we will activate the hatred within, right? They'll fall for the emperor's trick in, in Return of the Jedi. We'll let the hate flow through us, and it'll make us powerful. And to a certain extent, it did. Democrats thinking that they are going to somehow win by escalating the amount of hatred in their hearts again is a pretty astonishing thing. Now, we're going to talk about how the media is gaslighting everybody on this issue in just one second. But first, let's talk about those credit card bills. So here is the reality. You've been racking up credit card bills, or maybe you have been. And the, credit car, the rates on those credit card bills are exorbitant. If you've been racking up credit card bills and you're paying interest rates that are 20 30% because you haven't been able to pay off those bills, maybe it's time to consolidate that debt or pay off your credit cards with one fixed monthly payment. And that's where Lending Club comes in. They've helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed rate personal loans. No trips to a bank, no high interest credit cards. Just go to LendingClub.com. Tell them about yourself how much you want to borrow, pick the terms that are right for you. And if you're approved, your loan is automatically deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days. Lending Club is the number one peer-to-peer lending platform. They have over $35 billion in loans issued. Go to LendingClub.com Ben and check your rate in minutes. You can borrow up to 40 grand. That's LendingClub.com Ben. Again, LendingClub.com Ben, all loans made by WebBank member FDIC, equal housing lender. Go check it out. Right now, LendingClub.com slash Ben, consolidate that debt, put yourself on firmer fiscal footing, LendingClub.com slash Ben, and let them know that we sent you with that slash Ben. Okay, so as I say, the Democrats have decided to let the hate flow through them in order to defeat the Republicans, failing to recognize that it was Democratic hatred for Republicans that activated Republicans in the first place. And this is the part that's ironic. The Democrats think by being more militant, by being more angry, that they are going to get their base riled up, and then they're going to sweep back into power Well, they showed how militant and angry they could be over the last two weeks. And guess what happened in all the battleground Senate polls? They lost ground because Republicans looked at that and they said, oh, I remember why I was scared of you. I remember why I was angry at you. And here I am. I'm back and we're going to vote this time around." Well, Maisie Hirono is joining the party. She, along with Hillary Clinton, is now a big fan of all of this mob sort of stuff. I like the train noise in the background. It really adds an ambient feel to this to this whole show, you can, the momentum of a train moving forward. In any case, here's Maisie Hirono, senator from Hawaii, talking about how, well, if there's a mob, is that really bad? Because, I mean, the Republicans are all white supremacists anyway, so why not mob them?
1: Well, this is what happens, you know? The, 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 because when you look at white supremacists and, and all of that, this is what's coming forth in our country. There's a tremendous divisiveness in our country, but... Uh, uh, this is the kind of uh, activism that occurs and people make their own decisions. If they violate the law, then they have to uh, account for that.
0: Okay, so fun to hear Democratic senators openly state that they don't really care about this sort of mob tactic. Now, the funny part is that the media have decided, the media may be smarter than the Democrats in all of this. The Democrats think they can activate the base and the media think they can tamp down Republican response by pretending that none of this is happening. So as the mob is activated, as folks at the Women's March and folks at the ACLU and folks in Democratic halls of power start saying that it's okay to railroad a guy without any due process. And then to activate mobs to go and and storm the the Senate building and go and storm the the Supreme Court. As they say all this, the media maintain over and over that you shouldn't believe your own eyes. Who are you going to believe? Don Lemon or your own eyes? Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? Brooke Baldwin or your own lying eyes? And this is the way they, they approach this. So, Last night on CNN Matt Lewis and Mary Catherine Ham, both friends of mine and both Republicans, are on with Brooke Baldwin and they're talking about President Trump who has labeled democratic politics mob politics, which it is at this point. Listen to Brooke Baldwin try to spin away. I mean it's it's amazing. Listen to her try to spin away the fact that mobs invaded the Hart Senate building and tried to intimidate people and then went to the and then went to the Supreme Court and tried to beat in the doors. Here is here is Brooke Baldwin. <laughs> Brooke Baldwin doing her best to gaslight the American people.
1: Oh, when you see, you're when not you, going to use the mob I will. word oh, here. Oh, it's it's totally a mob. It is without there's a doubt. Matt, I mean, it's, it's, there's no other word Matt, for it. It's a, look, go Matt, watch it. Put up the a video. Mob, stop, stop. A, Put mob, up the video. a mob is what we saw in Charlottesville, Virginia, two Augusts ago. No, A mob is both. not what we saw chasing. I'm what not about, saying what, what they, they the did people, was right. What about the people who were at the Supreme Court banging on the walls? What do you mobbing. call that?
0: Civil protest? Or is that a mob? I think it's easily a mob. And there's Brooke Baldwin putting her head in her hands. How could someone call this a mob? Why would anyone call it? Because it's a mob. That's why. There's, there's an article in the Washington Post saying, Republicans tried to recast Democratic protest as mob. We don't have to recast anything. And it didn't take a lot of work at all. It said something like, Republicans work hard to do it. Doesn't take any work at all. Because all we have to do is show you the video, show you the pictures. It's not just Brooke Baldwin. A lot of the anchors on CNN have dedicated themselves to the idea that the only sort of mob that's real is a mob of white supremacists in Charlottesville. It's the only mob we've seen in politics, really. We didn't see mobs in Ferguson. We didn't see mobs in Baltimore. We haven't seen mobs in, at the Supreme Court. We didn't see mobs at the Senate building. None of this was a mob. I mean, Occupy, those weren't mobs. The only mobs are right-wing mobs. And if you feel like people are driving you nuts, that they're gaslighting you and lying to you, that's because they are. Take, for example, Don Lemon. So Don Lemon last night he had on a GOP commentator named Alice Stewart. And she was talking about President Trump who's ripping on the Democrats as an angry left-wing mob. And here is h- how it went down. So Lemon said, so, so Alice Stewart said that calling these folks a mob was actually accurate, pointing to people who are banging on the doors of the Supreme Court and people who harassed Senator Cruz and Heidi Cruz, as well as yelling at Jeff Flake and Susan Collins in elevators. And Lemon said, but that doesn't mean people don't get to object. That's your right as an American to object. It's covered in the First Amendment. It's like the first one. And then Lewis again chimed in and argued that anti-Kavanaugh protesters engaged in mob behavior, which they did. They went into the actual Kavanaugh Senate hearing room and they screamed until they were removed. They shouted until they were removed. That's called mob behavior. Okay, So Lemon says, no, that's not mob behavior. It's people who are upset and they're angry with the way the country is going. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. Mobs typically are angry and upset with the way a country is going. The reason the media are trying to cover for all this is because the media are beginning to realize that shouting at Republicans is not actually the best strategy for winning. And so they're simply going to try to convince you that the person who is shouting in your ear is not real. It's like Harvey, the bunny, the giant bunny. It's just imaginary. It exists only in your imagination. It's not a real thing. So the media doing their best to try and tamp down the perception of the public that Trump is actually correct about all of this and that Republicans are right when they say it. Mitch McConnell, of course, is pushing this forward. Mitch McConnell says, listen, this behavior and this this Hillary Clinton comment about civility being out of bounds, this is unhinged stuff from the Democrats. And that, of course, is correct.
1: No peace until they get their way. More of these unhinged tactics. Apparently, this is the left's rallying cry. But fortunately, the American people know that the fact free politics of hate, fear and intimidation are not how we actually govern in our democratic republic.
0: Well, this is right. I mean, the Democrats acting like puerile children is not going to help them. And that's why the media are trying to convince you that's not actually what's going on. Rand Paul got himself in a little bit of Twitter hot water yesterday for comments that he made. Uh, that are exactly correct. He said that political assassinations could rise in the United States. Somebody could be killed thanks to all of this vile rhetoric on the part of folks like Hillary Clinton. Now, listen, I'm somebody, go back and listen, who condemned this sort of aggressive rhetoric from President Trump in 2016. In 2016, the President of the United States, when he was just a candidate, when he was going to rallies and saying something like, punch somebody and I'll pay your legal bills. When he was doing that sort of stuff, I said, that's bad, that's ugly, he shouldn't be doing it. Well, Democrats are the ones doing it today and it's just as bad. It's just as bad. And they're being more explicit about it too. I mean, when Hillary Clinton says civility is not required with anybody on the other side of the aisle, it's pretty damn explicit. Rand Paul says this sort of stuff is going to get somebody killed. It doesn't mean that Hillary Clinton is going to get somebody killed, but the rise in temperature is likely to reach a boiling point at some point here. Rand says this he gets all sort of fla- all sorts of flack for it.
1: I feel that there's going to be an assassination. I really worry that someone is going to be killed. And uh, that those who are ratcheting up the, the, the conversation, those who are ratcheting up saying get in their face, they have to realize that they bear some responsibility if this elevates to violence.
0: Now, people are saying, well, what about Trump? What about Trump? Okay, let's talk about Rand for a second, since Rand is the one who's making the comment. Rand Paul had six of his ribs broken, by a neighbor who allegedly didn't like his politics and literally just tackled him on his property, requiring months and months of recovery. Rand Paul also happened to be one of the people present at the congressional baseball game where a bunch of Congress people were shot at and Steve Scalise was nearly murdered. So I think that Rand actually does have a certain amount of credibility on this particular issue. The direction the country is going is a really ugly direction, and it's got to be stopped. One of the ways to stop that, I think, Is gratitude now I know I know that this is a word that has gone out of style gratitude why should we be grateful clearly things are so bad in America except things are not bad in America right now things are very far from bad in America right now in just a second I want to explain to you that not only are things not bad in America things have not been bad in America for a few decades here and all of the political motivation to try and drive us to anger and panic is completely overstated but first Let's talk about your impending doom. Since we're in a dark mood, let's talk about your impending death. You're going to die. You're going to plot. And let's just face that reality. Now, prepare for that eventuality by going and getting some life insurance. You want to make sure that your family is taken care of in case, God forbid, something happens to you. And that's where Policy Genius comes in. They compare quotes from the top life insurance companies to find the best policy for you. It takes just two minutes to get a quote. And if you don't know anything about insurance, they've got all the tools to get you up to speed. You can learn the difference between term and whole life insurance calculate how much coverage you need, and be sure you're making the right decision. Over four million people have used Policy Genius to shop for insurance, and they don't just do life insurance, they do disability insurance and home insurance and auto insurance. If you care about it, they can cover it. So whether you know a lot about life insurance or nothing at all, start your search at policygenius.com. In just two minutes you can compare quotes and make an informed decision for you and your loved ones. Policy Genius is the best way to shop for life insurance. Go check it out. It's the easy way to compare and buy life insurance online. Policy Genius Dot com Again, if you are waiting to get life insurance, there's no reason to do so because who knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow. That's not a threat. That's a possibility. So go check it out right now, <laughs> policygenius.com. I mentioned it's not a threat because I got a, a threat actually on Twitter today. Actually, not well, on Twitter. It was in the email uh, from a guy who said that he wanted to behead me, which was uh, which was kind of a unique email. Uh, I, I wrote on Twitter, good morning to you too, sir. Um, but yeah, that, that's when people say they're afraid of the way politics is going, yeah, I don't think that that is, is completely out of bounds. With that said, the, the solution to that is to be kind of grateful for the country in which you live. It's hard to be angry at somebody when you're, when you're also being grateful. And we should be grateful. One of the great lies that's been perpetrated by both sides of the political aisle for political purposes over the last several years has been this lie that nothing in the United States has gotten better since 1979. And very often folks, particularly on the left these days, like to suggest that wage stagnation has taken place since 1979, and the American people are worse off for it. That globalization, liberalization, liberalizing trade rules, lower taxes, that these sorts of things, these sorts of things have, have killed the American economy. That if we had just remained a high tariff nation with less free trade, then we would all be living better. But wage stagnation has led to tremendous suffering in the United States. There's only one problem. I'd like to ask you, you listening right now, do you think that your lifestyle would have been better in 1979? Really? These two things don't match up. Folks who say that 1979 was so awesome, that wage stagnation started then, and then then wages have declined ever since, or they've at least remained static ever since for most people. Yes, but you are living a better lifestyle on those same wages. So what could explain this conundrum? Well, I think this is the most important article of the day. It's by a woman named Marianne L. Tupi at humanprogress.org. And here is what she says. She says, according to a 2015 report by the Economic Policy Institute, which is a left-wing think tank based in D.C., ever since 1979, the vast majority of American workers have seen their hourly wages stagnate or decline. This is despite real GDP growth of 149% and net productivity growth of 64% over this period. In short, the potential has existed for ample broad-based wage growth over the last three and a half decades, but these economic gains have largely bypassed the vast majority. Now, it is certainly true that average hourly earnings of production and non-supervisory employees in the private sector have barely changed between 1979 and 2015. In October 1979, average hourly earnings stood at 651 or 2120 in 2015 dollars if you adjust for inflation. In 2015, average hourly earnings stood at about 21 bucks and 18 cents, which is slightly below the inflation adjusted 1979 level. But We are forgetting three important factors, and this is the reason that you are living better today. It's the reason you have better stuff. It's the reason you have a bigger house. It's the reason why your lifestyle is significantly better than it was in 1979. One, expansion of non-wage benefits. People get all sorts of benefits that are not wage-related in today's economy. Second, a massive fall in the price of consumer goods. If you are making the same amounts of money that you made last year, but all the goods are half as expensive, you can buy more of the goods. I mean, this seems pretty intuitive. If you can buy more stuff, why do you care what the number is on your wage? What matters is whether you can trade that wage for more things. And there's also been a rise in the price of services like education and health care. Those three factors combine to suggest that the problems in our economy have to do with government regulation, not deregulation. Education and healthcare are heavily regulated. And to suggest that trade has been quite good for an enormous number of Americans, even if it feels like it has not been. So here's what this article suggested human progress. And this is right. In recent decades, non-wage benefits expanded. Today, they include relocation assistance, medical and prescription coverage, vision and dental coverage, health and dependent care, flexible spending accounts, retirement benefit plans, group term life and long-term insurance plans, legal and adoption assistance plans, child care and transportation benefits, vacations, sick, paid time off. It's not easy, writes this author, Marianne Topi. It's not easy to put an exact figure on the value of those non-wage benefits but they could amount to as much as 30 or even 40% of the workers' earnings. So while hourly wage benefits may have stagnated, while hourly wages may have stagnated, benefits certainly have not. The lion's share of non-wage benefits, as Cato's Peter Van Dorn wrote in 2011, is consumed by the dramatic increase in health insurance costs. He says the fixed costs of health insurance are a much larger percentage of the total compensation of lower earnings workers, meaning that you did get a raise, it just came out in your health insurance. Also, Many, perhaps most, big-ticket items used by a typical American family on a daily basis have decreased in price. So they, they looked at, the, at Human Progress. They looked at the prices of common household items as advertised in the 1979 Sears catalog and prices of those common household items sold by Walmart in 2015. And remember, those products in 2015 are a hell of a lot better than the products in 1979. A washing machine made in 2015 is a better quality washing machine than a washing machine made in 1979. A car made today is a better car than a car made in 1979. All the products you're getting are better, and you're getting them for cheaper. Here's what they did. They divided the 1979 nominal prices by 1979 average nominal hourly wages and 2015 nominal prices by 2015 average nominal hourly wages. And they calculated the time cost of household items in each year. That's the number of hours it would take to buy a washing machine for example. So, for example, the time cost of a 13 cubic foot refrigerator fell by 52% in terms of the hours of work required at the average hourly nominal wage. So if you could buy two refrigerators for the price of one, that makes you richer, regardless of what your top line income is. Needless to say, the above price reductions greatly underestimate the totality of welfare gains by the average American, ignoring qualitative aesthetic and environmental improvements on commonly used items. Again, those products are better today than they were yesterday. So it's pretty clear, it is pretty clear that when it comes to products that we can buy, we are much better off than they were in the 1970s. So where are we short? We're short in education, healthcare, and housing because the cost of those things has risen at a faster pace than total compensation. However, it is true that today's houses are larger and healthcare is better and education is more high tech. It is also true that the reason that that houses have risen in price is because of Tremendous regulation on the part of Democratic administrations, for the most part, in major cities. The reason that you see housing shortages in Los Angeles, which is the most sprawling city in, in, in the country, I mean, it's where I live, is because of heavy regulation and zoning. So what is the standard of living? Well, it's certainly, it, it's certainly better than it was in 1979. For the vast majority of people in the American public, the average apartment is bigger. The average stuff you have in your apartment is bigger. The average house is better. The average stuff that you have in that house is better. All of that should suggest that maybe we should be kind of grateful for the country in which we live and stop trying to tear it down and stop trying to tear each other apart in the name of some utopian vision. And Democrats might be wise to start there, especially because the more enraged Democrats get, Republicans lag behind because we are not fond of the rage. But if you enrage us, when you awake that sleeping giant, it's not good for you electorally. It is not good for you. Okay, well, in just a second, I want to talk about the Democrats' failure to recognize that basic truth and what they are saying now about Justice Kavanaugh. But first, let's talk about your coffee. If you've ever found yourself wincing at the weak taste of coffee from a left-leaning corporate brand that worries about whether people can use their bathroom for free as opposed to buying a cup of coffee, well, you may have thought, I wish they spent less time on meaningless Bias training, and more time on making coffee that is good. And that's why you need Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee, the the quality of the coffee is excellent. Not only that, the folks who stand behind Black Rifle Coffee are awesome. They're pro-veteran. They are veterans, many of them themselves. It is founded by former special operation vets, and Black Rifle delivers the best roast-to-order coffee now directly to your door. This guarantees you're getting fresh, premium coffee with every order. These are folks who are not politically correct, just themselves. And their coffee tastes like it would come from folks who are not politically correct, meaning it is strong coffee. It is not watered down. In addition to great coffee and gear, Black Rifle has a coffee club that makes things really easy. No lines, no running out, just great coffee, shipped right to your door every month, hassle-free. Plus... When you join that coffee club, you'll receive discounts and offers not available to other customers. Also, they give a portion of their sales to veteran and first responder causes, so you're doing something good every time you buy a cup of coffee from Black Rifle. Visit blackriflecoffee.com slash Ben, receive 15% off your order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash Ben for 15% off, blackriflecoffee.com slash Ben. Okay, so speaking of the democratic lack of gratitude for the country in which they live, which is driving a lot of anger, i am gonna talk in a second. About a song that has now gone viral on Twitter and Facebook. We'll talk about it in just one second. First, you're going to have to go over to Daily Wire and subscribe. When you do, you get the rest of my show live, the rest of Andrew Clavin's show live, the rest of Michael Moles' terrible show live. You get all of those things. Plus, for $99, you also get the Leftist Tears Hot or Cold tumbler. Now, I brought it along with me on the trip and then promptly forgot it in the hotel. But that's only because I wish to protect it. It is that precious to me. I didn't want to bring it outside. I-, I have to keep it in an actual, in an actual, Shrine. I light candles next to it each and every day. That's how good this Tumblr is, and you will enjoy it as well. Plus, when you subscribe, you also get access to the second season of Another Kingdom, which comes along with all of these great visual treats. You don't get those if you are not a subscriber. We have all sorts of good stuff that's happening behind the paywall over at dailywire.com. Go check it out. Plus, if you subscribe over at YouTube or iTunes and leave us a review, which I hope you will do a five-star review, that's the only type we accept, You'll also get access to our Sunday special. This week's Sunday special features business leadership guru and former Navy SEAL Jocko Willink, who stopped by.
1: How's it going? I'm Jocko Willink, and I am going to be on the Ben Shapiro Show Sunday special this coming Sunday, where Ben and I talked about a wide variety of subjects from parenting to politics to leadership and just about everything in between. Come and check it out. We'll see you then.
0: So it's a lot of fun. You're going to want to see it. Go check that out by subscribing at YouTube or iTunes. Again, leave us a review, a five-star review, if you so choose, and that will ensure that we continue to be ranked highly at iTunes. It does help with the rankings over there. Okay, so we will see you in just a second on the other side of this this Facebook break. We're the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast in the nation. Okay, so let's talk about the fact that the left doesn't seem to realize they live in a, a great country and that they believe that we all ought to be living in fear every single day. Now, fear-mongering is never a wonderful thing. If you're going to get exercised about problems in your life, you probably should be exercised about problems that are truly prevalent, you know, things that are actually a threat to you. And suggesting that every woman in the country is at risk of rape every second of every day is probably not a good way to bring people together. It's also not a good way to view your neighbors, because the truth is that Women are not at risk of sexual assault every day in the United States. America is a pretty safe country for women. In fact, it's the freest, safest country for women in the history of mankind. So there's that. But there's a song that's now become very popular on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, I'm not sure what, I think her name is Mercedes Linz, I guess, uh, and she's put up this song and folks on the left are just ecstatic about this song because it suggests that men should not be concerned about false allegations of sexual assault. We should not be concerned about it anymore. So, you know, men who are worried that in the aftermath of the Brett Kavanaugh nonsense, that anybody can be accused at any time without any corroborating evidence, they should sit down and shut up because women have it tough. Now, there's a logical flaw at the root of this, which is two things can be true at once. Women can be afraid of bad men and men can be afraid of bad women. Why these two things are supposedly mutually exclusive is beyond me. I do not understand why saying that women have a right to be afraid when a man accosts them and treats them terribly, why is that mutually exclusive with A man has a right to be afraid that a woman will make a false allegation against him. I'm not saying that the fears ought to be equivalent in nature. I'm not saying that the level of of fear should be equivalent or that the level of prevalence of these events is equivalent. But to say that I shouldn't be afraid of something bad happening to me because something bad could happen to you makes no sense at all, just on a logical level. And the reason I say this is because there are cases, many cases across the United States, particularly on campus right now, where Men are being accused of things that they did not do, and it's costing them time, money, and credibility. So here's the story of James. I'm going to tell you the story of James, and then we're going to get into this lady's song. So James was a freshman at the University of California, Davis. This is according to Reason Magazine. He was on his way to math class when he received an email that would derail his life for the next few months. The university's Title IX office, which handles sexual misconduct disputes between students, was investigating a complaint against him. This was in February 2018, right after Harvey Weinstein and Al Franken and all the rest. James said this was not a good time to get accused of something like this. The email from the Title IX compliance officer went into great detail about the seriousness of James' situation. He would be investigated in accordance with the university's sexual assault and sexual violence policies, as well as the student code, which covers physical assault, threats of violence, and conduct that threatens health and safety. A finding of responsibility could result in suspension or even expulsion. But the email was short on details of the alleged conduct. According to the Title IX office, a female student named Becky had complained that James touched her on the breast and buttocks over and under her clothing without her consent. James knew Becky. They'd been classmates in drama and briefly friends. On the evening of October 20th, 2017, they'd met up with some other friends to play music. Eventually finding themselves alone in Becky's dorm, they kissed for a few minutes and engaged in some light sexual touching before other students interrupted them. In James's view... The encounter had not only been fully consensual, it was also mutual. Becky bore just as much responsibility for initiating it as James. As Becky would later make clear to the investigator, she had also touched him sexually. She explicitly described her own actions in her official statement. James's attorney wrote about the incident and, uh, and here's what they wrote. Becky's account of the incident as set forth in the summary of her investigative interviews does not on its face allege any act of prohibited conduct. Doesn't matter. The investigation continued until May 1st at which time the Office of Student and Judiciary Affairs finally concluded that James was innocent. Even so, Becky was afforded the opportunity to appeal the decision, consistent with university policy as dictated by the Obama administration's education department. It cost James $12,000 in legal fees to defend himself against an allegation in which the girl admitted, admitted that she was mutually involved in the sexual conduct. I mean, it's pretty astonishing. According to Becky's complaint, the kissing followed a night of mutual flirting and started out romantic. Eventually, she either asked James to close the door or closed it herself. They continued kissing and also touching as they grinded against each other. And he, st- he says, my hand started making my way up her back, slowly respectfully testing the waters. James opened his eyes to make sure Becky was enjoying what was happening. She seemed into it. And so he touched her over her clothes. James removed his shirt and she told him to drop it on the floor. So in other words, she was involved in every step of all of this. Right. At one point, James became too forceful. He was grinding against her. She was pressed against a closet door and Becky asked him to be more gentle. He agreed and toned down the grinding. Becky admits that she kissed James's neck, but didn't think she gave him a hickey. She did, however, ask him whether he was into certain types of sexual activity. And she says that she was aroused by all of this. So she says all of this to the Title IX court. It cost him $12,000 anyway. So should men be worried about this sort of thing? Why not? Why wouldn't they be? Wouldn't you be worried about this sort of stuff? But according to feminists, because women have a completely separate set of fears, some of which are justified and some of which are overstated, men should not be worried about anything. So Brett Kavanaugh is guilty because bad things happen to women is basically the logic of the left. And then they wonder why folks on the center and on the right are not interested in this particular point of view. Well, here is this this song from Mercedes-Lenz expressing this bizarre point of view that that women are threatened, bad things happen to them, therefore men should shut up. Here she is singing about it. This has, I think, five million views on Twitter. It's gone viral, of course.
1: I can't walk to my car late at night while on the phone. I can't open up my windows when I'm home alone. I can't go to the bar without a chaperone. I can't wear a mini skirt if it's the only one
0: I own. Pause it for a second. So she can do all those things. All the things she just said she can't do, she can do. right? The question is whether they are wise things to do in particular areas at night. So when I am walking, in an area that I feel is unsafe. I don't walk alone in an area I feel is unsafe with my phone to my head. In fact, the police tell you you're probably not supposed to do that if you don't want to become a target of crime, generally, that you probably shouldn't do that. Are women more vulnerable than men? Of course they are. Of course they are. But if this means that Brett Kavanaugh is guilty, I'm sort of missing that. Also, I don't know where she lives, but why can't she sleep with the window open? Like, I, I really don't know where she lives. Like, maybe she lives in a heavily crime-ridden area, in which case you might want to get out of there. But- the number of break-in entries where people just kind of like enter your home randomly because you can't sleep with the window open, it doesn't happen all that often. I don't know about chaperoning at bars. Is this a thing? Like, I, I, I haven't heard, frankly, of, of a chaperone for anything since like the 1920s with dating. This idea that you can has she been to a bar? Like, there, there are lots of women there with, without chaperones. There are lots of men there, too, without chaperones. In fact, bars are not famous for their chaperoning. It's not a, it's not a square dance. You know, in the hills, like, what, what? What? Okay, and then when she says, and then when she continues by saying that she can't wear a miniskirt, even if it's the only one she owns, she literally can do that. She literally can do that. In fact, she can wear a miniskirt, even if it's not the only one that she owns. Women wear miniskirts a lot in our society. I mean, honestly, like, this, this is just, it's not accurate. And if she feels fear about this sort of stuff, then... I'm not going to say that her fears are completely unjustified on every score. But again, I don't know why that is a justification for saying that all women have to be believed about every allegation without corroborating evidence. I agree that men can be pigs and that women are at greater risk of being targeted by men than men are. But what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? It really has nothing to do with the main topic at issue. But according to the left, something bad happened to me or could happen to me, therefore you should shut up about the possibility of something bad happening to you, which is just a line of logic I do not understand in the slightest. Okay, meanwhile, in other news, Brett Kavanaugh uh, is still being run to the ground by folks on the left who refuse to acknowledge that he is in fact a legitimately appointed Supreme Court Justice of the United States. The Democratic Party is now selling T-shirts that say on them, Supreme Injustice, which, I mean, listen, we sell T-shirts here at the Daily Wire, like we have a set of T-shirts, they say things like facts don't care about your feelings, which feels like something you'd want to advertise and feels like a, a relatively eternal message. I'm not sure why you would buy a shirt that says supreme injustice and then just be wearing it around. Like in two years, is anyone going to know what in the world that T-shirt means? The answer, of course, is no. But this is the take of the Democrats. They cannot let this go. And if we don't let this go, we will win. Yeah, that's not what the polls are showing, folks. Jennifer Weiner writes, at the New York Times, this, this sort of column drives me up a wall. How do I explain Justice Kavanaugh to my daughters? Well, here's what you say. Justice Kavanaugh was accused of sexual assault back when he was 17 years old. There was no corroborating evidence to support the allegation, and we don't ruin anybody's life in this country based on just allegations without any corroborating evidence. Boom, did it in two sentences. Wow, amazing. Just amazing, right? I mean, that, that was just an incredible display of intellectual dexterity. Just unreal. It just, I, 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 amazing, amazing. But here's what she actually writes. Before he entered politics, President Trump was a fan of different sort of spectacle, professional wrestling in pro wrestling with its long running soap opera-like storylines about heroes and villains, faces and heels. You don't win. You flatten your opponents. You climb onto the turnbuckle, hop onto the ropes, hurl yourself onto the body of your defeated foe and are declared the winner. That was what Monday night's primetime swearing in ceremony of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court felt like. Well, except for the fact that he will actually sit on the Supreme Court and then decide cases. It's just like WWE. And then here's what she says. With his wife and young daughters in the audience, Justice Kavanaugh made all the correct conciliatory noises. Gone was the red-faced, furious man of late September with his claims about dark money and Clinton-funded plots. Gone was the man who alternatively wept and roared and looked as if he was trying to pass a kidney stone of compressed rage. You accused him of gang rape. You accused him of gang rape. And if he had been robotic, you would have accused him of being robotic. How do I know? Because you did two days before when he was on Martha McCallum's show. And then... And then here's what it says. It says, The gloating crested over the weekend. On Saturday, once Justice Kavanaugh was a sure thing, Senator John Cornyn tweeted out his beers for Brett hashtag along with a picture of a glass of champagne. The Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell thanked the clowns who protested Justice Kavanaugh's ascension and helped unify his party. Many, uh, but he says, But this woman says, for the record, the clowns, the angry mob, the violent protesters were the women who confronted elected officials in office halls and in elevators. Many are survivors of sexual violence, the same kind that Christine Blasey Ford testified she endured. They were trying to get the men in power to hear them and act accordingly. But as I've said, that has nothing to do with anything. I may believe your story of sexual assault. That does not mean that I have to believe every story of sexual assault. But here's the meat of the piece. What am I supposed to tell my daughters about all of this? Of course, I already know. I've been talking to them about it for years. Be aware of your surroundings, okay? Make sure someone knows where you are and when to expect you back. Don't drink too much. Don't put your drink down. Don't walk or run or bike the same route. Don't stay out too late. Don't walk alone in the dark. If a guy asks you out and you're not interested, don't hurt his feelings and don't laugh at him because a humiliated man is an angry man and sometimes angry men hurt women. And so some of that I think is good advice just for anyone. Like walking alone in the dark in a crime-ridden area is dumb. Not drinking too much. Makes sense, right? Don't drink too much. That's stupid. I've never heard this thing that if a guy asks you out that you have to not hurt his feelings. like that. That's a new one. I haven't heard that one because, frankly, I can't think of a dude that I know who hasn't asked a woman out and had his feelings hurt. I can't think of a single dude that this has not happened to. And 99% of dudes don't go on to rape people. And that's, that's not actually a thing. But here's what she says. She says, Our girls will learn to police their clothes, their words, their drinking, their behavior, their choices because they've been watching and what they've seen is this. If you get hurt, it's probably your fault. Not a single person says that. And if you tell, probably no one will believe you. Not a single person says that. And even if people do, probably nothing will happen. Not a single person says that either. The conflation of, I'm upset about Justice Kavanaugh with America is systemically unjust against women is just, it's it's absurd and it's a lie. And I'm speaking as a guy with my own daughter and with three younger sisters it's it, it's silliness, but again, the motivating factor for a lot of the left right now is rage, and they don't understand that that rage there's going to be a delayed effect, but the rage will blow back on them. Anger is a short term high, and it's a long term low. My friend Andrew Clavin says anger anger is the devil's cocaine. That's probably about right. You get a, you get a very high high, and then you die of an OD, and that's basically what we are what we are at risk of right now. Okay, time for. A couple of things that I like, and then we'll do a couple of things that I hate. So, things that I like, this video from a guy named Justin Norman is just hysterical. So he decided that he was going to create a new service. It's called Nazimaker.com. It's a service so that folks on the left can make anyone into a Nazi. Here is the here's the video he cut to push his new product, Nazimaker.com.
1: Are you looking to resist fascism, but can't find a single Nazi to punch? <laughs> We've all been there. Fortunately, due to recent breakthrough advances in Nazi hunting technology, there's a solution. Sounds like capitalism. Hey, we all have to make sacrifices to save America. Now put down that rock and point your MacBook Pro web browser to www.nazimaker.com. Now, just type in the name of any conservative, centrist, or even liberal, and with just a few keystrokes, you can easily transform any person with whom you disagree into a freshly minted white supremacist. Just look at how easy it is. Am I God? You are now. And now that you've turned all of these public figures into Nazis, you can assume everyone who follows them is a Nazi too. And since every Nazi deserves a good punch in the throat, I think we all know what these disgusting fascists are in for at their next speaking event.
0: Thanks, nazimaker.com. Hey, no problem, guy. Yep, that is a pretty good take on exactly how the left has decided to polarize the political debate at this point. Now, for an actual thing that I like, something that might be able to bring us together at least a little bit. Netflix has, is, I've only seen the trailer because they haven't actually brought out the series yet. It just looks spectacular. It's a new series called Medal of Honor in which they talk about the stories of folks who have won the Medal of Honor and it just looks awesome. Here's a little bit of the trailer.
1: One thing that you're going to learn in combat, you learn a lot about love. When you're willing to put yourself in front of that bullet for your man, That's love. The Medal of Honor is the ultimate form of recognition for courage on the battlefield. Anybody who receives it is immediately hailed as a hero like none other. It has to be witnessed and people have to write reports about why this person deserves it. They have earned it and they have earned it the hard way. The Medal of Honor represents usually the worst day of your life. It is important that people hear these stories. It's a legacy,
0: and it deserves to be told for the next generations to come.
1: He carried me about 10 miles. Because of our friendship, I knew that he would try to take it care of terrific. me. It right? looks
0: terrific. I mean, this, this really He's looks good, and I can't wait to see it. It looks like it's got reenactment and, and documentary stories. It just looks, it looks terrific, terrific. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I think you might like it as well, which is why I bring it up. Okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. So, thing I hate, number one. So Hillary Clinton, everything that she says is just terrible these days. Well, My favorite part of this interview she did on CNN is where she was asked about the allegations against Bill Clinton based on her speeches and, and her statements about Brett Kavanaugh. And here's what she had to say about Bill Clinton and Brett Kavanaugh.
1: There's a very significant difference. Uh, and that is the intense, long-lasting, partisan investigation that was conducted in the 90s. If, um, you know, the Republicans, starting with President Trump on down, uh, want uh, a comparison, they should welcome such an investigation themselves.
0: Okay, so I love this. I love this. She says they should welcome an investigation themselves. She literally called it a vast right-wing conspiracy when people suggested that her husband was lying about his sexual activity in the White House. But she says the Republicans should welcome the investigation. Also, I love that she says that there is a difference between Bill Clinton and Brett Kavanaugh. Right, there was evidence against Bill Clinton. He admitted all, a, a lot of the stuff that people alleged him to doing. There was corroborative evidence for Juanita Broderick. She talked to people at the time. There was physical evidence that she'd been abused. So yes, it turns out that there is a difference between Brett Kavanaugh and Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was guilty of stuff, and we have no evidence that Brett Kavanaugh actually was outside of the allegations themselves. Other things that I hate. So the media have done just an awful job this week, like many weeks, and Don Lemon led the pack. As soon as we were done with the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, He went back to the the news that's at the top of everybody's mind. And that news is, of course, that Stormy Daniels had sex with President Trump 12 years ago. That is at the top of everybody's mind. So Stormy Daniels has a new book out. No one cares about the book except for her description of mushrooms, apparently. But here was Don Lemon interviewing Stormy Daniels about President Trump's genitals again. And the reason this is not relevant... Well, because no one accused President Trump of actual sexual abuse in this case. This was literally a consensual affair that he had with a woman 12 years ago, but we're still talking about it. I'm getting rather irritated with all this, as amusing as I find all the Mario Kart references.
1: You said you don't have many regrets, but the one that you have recently is writing about the president's private parts. Why do you regret that? Um, I don't really regret it. I just have a couple moments where I'm like, ooh, that was kind of mean, but... Then I look back and all the horrible things he said to about other people and women and calling women pigs and, uh, you know, attacking girls' weights and their looks. And I, then I don't feel so bad. Yeah.
0: Why is she still a thing? Why are we still talking about Stormy Daniels at this point? I mean, barring some new information about the payoff to Stormy Daniels violating election law, I'm not sure why she's being interviewed. We know her story and her story is pretty non-shocking. Like, did anyone really think that President Trump has a long history of stooping everything on two legs? That that guy did not shoot up Stormy Daniels or that there weren't going to be descriptions of his genitals out there. But the media is fascinated by this because, of course, the members of the media really, really, really hate President Trump. Okay, well, we will be back here tomorrow. Don't forget, if you are in the Memphis area, I'm speaking at University of Memphis tonight, this one is not being live streamed. So the only way to see it is if you actually show up and check them out. I believe that you can see if there are any tickets available. It may be sold out, but I think there are probably some standby tickets in case folks don't show up. Go check it out right now. We will see you back here tomorrow. I'm going to go visit Graceland now. I'll catch you guys later. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Alex Ngaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Caramina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Ford Publishing production. Copyright Ford Publishing 2018.